Welcome to The Third One Sucks, where we rank every movie in a franchise from first to worst. I'm Dan Ellis. I'm Mark Bell. And are, are we going to talk all night? Because I'm really sleepy. Maybe. What are we going to talk about today, Mark? <laughs> Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. A supernatural action thriller written and directed by Guillermo del Toro, distributed by Universal Pictures, and based on the comics of the same name by Mike Mignola. Hellboy 2 premiered on July 11th, 2008, and stars Ron Perlman, Selma Blair, Doug Jones, Luke Goss, and Anna Walton, among others. What's our uh, what's our fan review for this film? Well, Marco, buddy, oh, pal, our movie review this week comes from Google Audience Reviews? And it's from Sebastian Tyson, three years ago, who says, Heckboy is an inappropriate movie that has H space LL in the title and Heckboy killing again K with a dash LLING. I don't know if killing is a divine entity now. A tree. <laughs> from the top, so we get this all together. Heckboy is an inappropriate movie that has HEL in the title and Heckboy killing a tree. <laughs> I just love the name Heckboy so much. It's Heck my boy. new favorite thing. Heckboy is... I was... Oh, man. All right. Should we get into this movie? I, I guess so. When did you see this movie for the first time? Honestly, this is one of those times that I don't remember. This movie definitely happened post-college. I know I saw it relatively soon after it came out. I, I may have seen it in the theaters. I don't think I remember most of 2008. I'm, tr- <laughs> I'm legitimately trying, and I feel like... I can remember parts of 2007 and 2009, and I feel like 2008 is just this big, empty void in my brain. (laughs) Um, I think this is right around the time that I would have started working uh, in, like, a call center. And therefore, I think this is when I started, like... I forgot you did that. Yeah, I did. Um, And I think that also means that this means anytime I was not at the call center, I was imbibing uh substances so (laughs) probably has something to do with it but i have seen this movie so many times mark that even though i have not (laughs) watched it in like a decade at this point uh i i just knew what lines were coming next it came back very quickly yeah it was one of those where as the dialogue was going to look up they're gonna say this next and and yeah um the annoying guy who quotes the movie the entire time it's happening very well could have been me with parts of this movie Oh, awesome. <laughs> let's so let's talk about this movie. This movie opens on a Christmas flashback yes. to a somewhat younger Professor Bloom. Bloom? <laughs> somewhat younger <laughs> Professor Broom. Yeah, because Broom's telling, way telling Hellboy a bedtime story at Christmas. And that's like that's the device we're gonna use to explain the story that's gonna happen. It's like, that's how we're going to give the audience some background. But before we get to that, let's just talk about young Hellboy a little bit. Young Hellboy really likes Howdy Doody. He does. Yeah. And I have this weird cognitive dissonance going on with Hellboy that I had to remind myself about. The same way I think we kind of, we discussed this last episode where he looks 50, but is in fact 20 or so. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of messing with your brain last episode because you, you want to like naturally treat him as being somewhat older. I had that same problem with Hellboy here. It is off-putting to me because he looks like a young teenager. 
Mm-hmm. Like his physical body is is that of a young teenager, but his mannerisms and dialogue are like he's about seven. And that like for a bit, I kept thinking, why why did they write this character so young? Like who wrote this dialogue? Whoever wrote this dialogue doesn't know how a thirteen year old person talks. And mm-hmm. then I remembered the whole you know aging slowly. All right, okay, we had this discussion literally just last movie. <laughs> you know you know what does it for me? You know why it works for me, Mark? Is it's the teeth. It's it's how big his teeth are, and so like. My brain just overcompensates with like, he hasn't grown into them chompers yet. He's must be just a little baby. <laughs> it is an odd visual young Hellboy. It mostly works, I think, mm-hmm. uh, but it's definitely jarring to start the movie for me. Not, a, not in a negative way. It's just like it immediately sets the tone of weird with a capital W that, you know, is the kind of Hellboy universe. <laughs> I like this. Uh, look, I will take this depiction of young Hellboy over a weird CGI monkey baby every day yeah. of the week. Every day of the week. That is a dramatic improvement. I will give the, you that. They, they give you the photo from the first movie that happens when they found him in... Where did they find Hellboy? You tell me, Mark. I'm a sportsman. I don't know these comic book things. <laughs> it was in Scotland. It's in Scotland is where they Scotland. found him. Okay, thank you. Yeah, Scotland. <laughs> Uh, I knew that. Of course I knew that. Hebrides? I don't... I really like this world. I really like the mythology that they're playing with in this. It's one that I don't see used as much um, in media in general, and especially Mm -hmm. in Hollywood. So it it has like this very unique flavor to it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very good. So yeah. So as soon as this movie starts, Hellboy's Mm -hmm. begging for a bedtime story. Broom's reading him a story of the war between humans and the magical creatures and kind of specifically the anglo-saxon european magical creed like we're, we're looking at elves and goblins and, and trolls and again it's that that specific kind of piece of sure. mythology and in the story it's really the elves who are on the forefront right there's this ancient war between humans and elves and it has hit a breaking point when a goblin blacksmith builds a mechanical golden army and a special crown to control it all this is all so much my jam the idea of like elves at war with the humans and that eventually they split and the humans take the cities and the elves take the woods and like it's, mm-hmm. it's just this is my song i, I love all of this nonsense and the story's being sure. told in this sort of like stop motion animation-esque thing mm-hmm. the cgi isn't perfect but it holds up well enough that it's still very fun for me yeah, the CGI in this movie is in an interesting place, for sure. Yes. <laughs> the story kind of ends with the King of the Elves negotiating a truce with the humans, right? You you mm-hmm. keep to the settled areas, we'll take the woods, and the son of the king, uh, Prince Nuada, like stalking off into a self-imposed exile, saying he will return someday when his people are needed again. And the like the crown that controls the golden army is broken into three pieces and you know scattered amongst the the tribes whatever it is very very clearly setting up this movie right like this opening yeah. story of like ah there used to be this ancient elven race with a magical army and the it's, crown that they need is broken like it's just setting up a fetch quest is what it is yeah look they're yeah it's doing the thing that the, this these stories at the beginning of movies do it's yeah it's doing the thing <laughs> So, okay, so then we jump to the now times. 
Of 2008. Yes, of 2008, where an auction for like ancient mythological artifacts is going down, I think is what's happening, right? Yeah, that seems to be the case. Rich people are buying ancient like right. artifacts. That's what's well, happening. Yes, that's absolutely what's happening. Very wealthy people in America are buying ancient artifacts that were clearly taken from other countries and brought to America for yeah. rich white people to buy. Yeah. One of the items kind of up for bid is a piece of the crown. And it's not like they don't know what they have, right? Like they they, they connect it to its place of mythology. They just mm-hmm. obviously they're like modern day humans. So they don't think of it as like a magical crown, but they say like, oh, it's connected to this old myth of the golden army, the crown of Bethmora. Okay. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a weird, like it is weird to me how much this movie put that right on the news, but I, I guess, you know, whatever, like this auction is being done by an auction house who's definitely done their, their research, I guess that's fine. Right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's just weird that it's got a little tag on it because the thing sets it up as like, oh, these three pieces of the crown, like split among the world and given to guardians, and then then there's like like a human rolling it out in a box with a little little tag on it that says a piece of the crown of Bethmora. That is interesting. It. I mean, if I feel like most movies would not do that thing, but it's fine. We're gonna let it happen. And, of course, uh, Prince Duada is here. He just shows up. He's like, hello, it is me. My people are not dead. That's my thing that you're trying to sell. Please give it back. Which is a conversation that I think a lot of nations have with, say, like, the Museum of England on a very regular basis. Right, right. This is... You know, You know, we're still, like, we're still alive. We're, like we're still those people and that's our thing you've got there in that glass case uh when is going to be the appropriate time to talk about this i don't know um so i'm gonna do it here (laughs) and that is that i think that this movie is portraying problematic philosophies in a way that so many marvel films try to Mm -hmm. but in a way that in marvel films just comes right back around to we need somebody on the left to do a really shitty uh act of violence um right order, right in order for us to be like okay no actually that uh we have to just suddenly be on the hero side again because yep. otherwise <laughs> it would just be too on a space that they're right um, what i hear you describing is the black panther film <laughs> look any it could be some this is how i felt about falcon and winter soldier i was like sure oh they absolutely up, yep. they blew up that building for what reason again that was in <laughs> morgenthal's character I don't understand. This is a very yep. weird, like, right turn that they're taking to justify what's happening here. Um, you know, th- that movie production company, what works with the Defense Department. I wonder why they went that route. Anyway, um, <laughs> my reading of this listener, and maybe it's, it is different, maybe I'm the only one who reads it this way, is that um, Prince Tawada is an eco-fascist. Yes, I think that, that seems right. And so, like, he's like, we have to preserve nature and all that. And, like, you'll destroy the human beings are going to destroy the world. So we need to wipe. We need to do a genocide of humanity in order to like he's justifying human genocide in order to save the planet, which is, you know, that thing what eco fascists want to do. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And it's a not uncommon take, I think, in 
more modern versions of this sort of mythological story is like the old races are dying out because humans keep destroying the world. Right, right. But yeah, they definitely like I think I think reading Nuada through an eco-fascist lens feels very accurate to me. I think that works. Because then we can still we can we can look at him like they want us to look at all these Marvel villains and be like Okay, like, you're right, humans are fucking a lot of shit up, but killing off a bunch of human beings isn't the way you right. go about fixing these problems? Yes, yes, <laughs> it is, it is, and maybe this is just a factor of Guillermo del Toro really hitting his stride as right. a script writer as well as a filmmaker. I just think it's it's so much more, yeah, nuanced uh, is even exactly the right word, it's just better handled. This movie in general, is so much better than the first movie. It's absurd. <laughs> it is wild. <laughs> it's not like it doesn't have its missteps that we're gonna, like, we'll get there. But sure, yeah, yeah. the way that in which this movie holds up is so much better than that first movie, in my opinion, despite its flaws, uh, is incredible. <laughs> so, so Nuwana shows up and says, that's my thing, please let me have it. Yes. And then just like, rather than even really opening a dialogue, like, he is absolutely here to villain. Like, he came here with the intent to kill. Yeah. He is telling people that's my thing, not because, like, oh, I'm here to negotiate in good faith, just because he's having, like, a bit of a villain chat before slaughtering them all. Right, right. He's got to get his monologue in. Yeah. And then he unleashes a bunch of tooth fairies on them. He sure does. And Wink's there. We can't forget about Wink. Oh, yeah. Wink, who is a really, like... Which is short for Winkerbell, obviously. <laughs> The uh, the CGI on Wink doesn't necessarily hold up super well. It's not it's not bad, but the character uh, is so interesting and endearing that it it works pretty well anyway. I think you're talking about the CGI fist. What runs around? Is that what you're? Yeah, it's such a goofy like. It's like something out of an SNES era side scroller beat 'em up. It, this is interesting that this is that's your touchstone for it because to me it feels like you remember when Mortal Kombat was when it, in its awkward phase. Uh, <laughs> oh, yep, yep. During like basically any time it was 3D in between Mortal Kombat's three and nine. Um, it yeah, it, he feels like a villain straight out of <laughs> one of those games. Like that, a yeah, that, that show who like, stumbled on screen and started vomiting <laughs> everywhere. I'd be like, this is perfectly in keeping with what's happening right now. <laughs> so Wink is a troll, I believe. I think his technical name, according to the credits, is Mr. Wink, which makes it even better to me. <laughs> Mr. Wink. Oh, my God. And he's just this like big, goofy looking dude with like a like a like a half leather corset and a giant leather bracer. And a, and a metal chain fist. He's fabulous. I love him. Yeah. He, it's look, such a good design. Wait, here's the thing is that like, I think his design is worse than, you know, Samuel, the resurrection hound from the first movie. Sure. Like, I definitely like that design better, but Wink is just a better character. Like, <laughs> like I, I, I feel like there's at least something going on behind those eyes. And I did not, <laughs> I did not feel that way in the previous movie for our, um, tertiary villain <laughs> that's fair uh, worth noting that wink has a giant mechanical metal fist yeah. because he lost his original right fist in like the original war with the humans thousands of years ago 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, so Princeton Water releases these tooth fairies, right? Which are like, I don't know, six inch to 12 inch, like creepy crawly kind of very Guillermo del Toro style fairies, right? Yes. <laughs> and they swarm. It's very much a swarm attack. Mm-hmm. And we're going to cut away from it. We're not going to get to see too much. Uh, because we're going to have the BPRD investigate. Now we're back at the BPRD for this section? Yes. And doesn't everything just feel better? Doesn't it just it does. like... Instantly everything feels better. And I don't I don't know how much of that is my nostalgia blinding me to it, and how much of it is just like actually competent filmmaking and characterization happening here. I think it really helps that, that Abe is not confined to his tank, and that's as good a job as Frazier's brother did with the voice. Right. <laughs> We've got a full Doug Jones performance, so it really like mm-hmm. the characterization is a bit stronger. Liz is just almost an entirely different character now, which is great. She actually is a character, which is yeah. more than you can say about her <laughs> in the first movie. She, I mean, they still could have done so much more and done better by her in this film, definitely. But. So yeah, there's, there's, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Hellboy is sort of dealing with the grief of losing his father as a young man. You know, he's, he's got this kind of uh, directionless sense. He's uh, selfish and self-centered. He loves his friends, but doesn't really understand like how to properly express that or how to use his strength in like appropriate ways. He has this this yearning to be loved right like he wants everyone to like him he sort of wants the world to know about him because he wants that approval that very much to me feels like a directionless young man trying to fill the gap uh, of the love of his parents right like his only parent died he doesn't like that's where his love his approval his validation like broom was the source of all of that for him and i think it gives us uh I think this this Del Toro script gives us a Hellboy that doesn't know how to find that validation and approval within himself. And so he's just like constantly searching for it externally and hurting people while he does. I think that's accurate. Before we get too deep into what's going on with uh, Heckboy and Liz, I want to point out the moment (laughs) and the exact moment in this film that I think I fell in love with it is whenever... Abe and uh, Manning are walking down the hallway and they're having a conversation and they have this moment where they stop in front of this operating room and this creature that's just like (laughs) all manner of like limbs is like flailing in the background and they're trying to do like an operation on it and they walk that's the moment that i fell in love with like this particular film is that i was like that is <laughs> sure that is so that's fucking valid. cool that is it, whatever it is it looks so fucking cool and i was on board <laughs> it just it's like you said at the beginning of this as soon as we get to the bprd it has a like a cadence and a rhythm to it that feels right and i don't know if maybe that was just by getting rid of most of the human characters, the BPRD now feels like it more squarely belongs to the supernaturals or if it's just better characterizations. I, I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. but we get here and it's like, oh, yeah, this feels like the BPRD now. We Like, this is the vibe. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> so Liz is on fire. Yep, she sure is. 
multiple times throughout this movie, Liz is on fire uh, yeah. within her own control, mostly, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Look, that character's always on fire in my bookmark. She's so much better in this film. I watched it. I was like, oh, yeah, right. Okay, this is why right. we like Selma Blair as Liz. Correct. <laughs> and and uh, FBI agent Jeffrey Tambor, who was still kind of nominally in charge of the BPRD, is complaining to Abe about Hellboy, saying like he's getting more careless and reckless. He's getting seen more often, which mm-hmm. this movie seems to want me to forget about the fact that hellboy was like publicly visible multiple times in the last film right well i think here's what you do mark is that between all of these little moments that are trying to get the audience up to speed in case this is your first hellboy uh, and like that opening where it's like this is where hellboy came from and we found him and here's the picture you can almost entirely skip that first movie the it, if it wasn't for the way that it helps characterize abe and liz and just like give context to who the fuck they are you sure. could skip that first movie yeah, that, that is very fair yeah <laughs> so there's just a little bit of that just a little bit of setup there's a bit we get to see liz and hellboy interacting with each other they clearly are really into each other but are sort of in a moment where they're trying to figure out what their relationship is Hellboy's just being Hellboy and Liz needs more from him. Hellboy's not doing his share of domestic labor is what's happening. Is it? He's just just not doing anything to like make things easier on his partner here. Hellboy is 90% of all young men in a new domestic relationship. Yeah, this is this came out in like 2008. It, it was whatever age I was in 2008. It's aimed at that age of people for sure. <laughs> we still, to a, uh, an uncomfortable degree, still sort of like societally condition men to expect their partners to be oh, like yeah. romantic partners and mothers, and that's right. very clearly what Hellboy is living in. Which is fascinating from, he must have gotten strictly from culture, because he was not raised with a mother. I mean, the front of the movie told us that he grew up watching 1950s, so I'm guessing he got it from, like, Leave it to Beaver in the Donna Reed show. Oof. (laughs) All right, where are we? Oh, ah, we are BPRD heading off to investigate the Tooth Fairy situation. They roll out in the garbage truck, and they start investigating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when they get there, no one's around. Like there were no, they they note in dialogue, like oh, there were no survivors. What happened? They didn't kidnap anyone, but there are no bodies. Uh, and they're just wading through this multi-inch thick layer of like jello <laughs> that turns out to be the sort of like the remains of those seventy or so humans. Yeah, it turns it's out it's appropriately so green is made of people. Yeah, <laughs> there's a bit where abe's doing some investigating he touches liz and through his like extra sensory powers realizes that she's pregnant mm-hmm. which will come back into the movie later obviously but there's this bit now where there's kind of a prolonged fight with the tooth fairies which as we described earlier are just sort of like an insect swarm yeah this and this is very specifically one of my personal heebie-jeebies like this sort of like mm. insect swarmy stuff just like it it makes my skin crawl sure. very quickly and this scene lasts for like 10 minutes <laughs> you're having a bad time <laughs> <laughs> 
it's, I thought it's, your your fear was going to be somebody being pregnant. The the pregnancy plot in this movie is completely like extemporaneous. Like we don't. Oh it, yeah, it does not need to exist. It doesn't. It doesn't really do much of anything in this movie. It gives. I don't know. It doesn't. I don't think it needs to be here. It's fine. I don't hate it. I'm not going to be super mad about it, but. I think all it really does is it sort of gives the characters an off-ramp at the end of the movie. Yeah, one that I don't know that we need. Yeah, I don't think it was necessary for that even, but uh, yeah. So, so again, that'll connect later, but we're going to we're gonna fight a swarm with right. guns, which seems bad. Yes. I mean, what else, what else do they have, I guess? But it seems like a bad plan. It's not the best plan. Uh, it, maybe if they were like packing like some like scattershot shit. Sure. Make a little more I sense. do enjoy how accurate they all are, though. Like, the BBRD yeah. are, are picking these things out of the sky. <laughs> They're very good gunsmen and lady. Eventually, we're going to handle this by putting Abe inside of a safe, having Hellboy jump outside the window, and then just having Liz light them all on fire. I mean, first, we got to kill the humans. So, because, you know, they, yeah, otherwise they would why they're there. by fire. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, they're very much just, you know, they're extras. They're, they're here to die. The, yeah, every time they send humans out on a BPRD mission, they are, they're red shirts. They're just there yeah. to, <laughs> Correct. to die and fake up the ante for somebody who's never seen uh, any form of media before, I guess. <laughs> Hellboy is, he has to leap out a window again to not get burned, which. Leap in big quotation marks. He's just, he goes and stands by the window after Liz is specifically like, don't do that. <laughs> Which this Hellboy, I think he, he's, a, I mean, I know he's a demon and I, he is, I don't want like, there's a degree to which it's not worth saying, well, in the comics, but he's, he's a, he's a demon. He's, he's really resistant to fire. Like he's, he's fire doesn't really affect that boy much. He's fireproof by Pillar, the Christian rock band. <laughs> That's a pull for nobody. That's a pull for absolutely nobody. <laughs> but I don't know. The movies are still fairly early in the Hellboy mythology. Maybe he hasn't figured that out yet, or maybe like he hasn't developed his full resiliency or whatever. I don't know, but like... Well, he this knows from like, the last movie that he can, he took a fucking belt of right. grenades to the face. He knows. He's a demon from hell. He's probably going to be fine. But, yeah, you know, leaping out the window, he can then, you know, strut around Main Street for a bit. Well, uh, he doesn't leap out. FBI Mark guy. is the thing, is that he just goes and stands there. He's like. Oh, that is true. That is true. Liz tells him, stay away from the fucking window. And he says, or. That is a very out. good point. <laughs> I let you blast me out the window and expose myself to the world so everyone yes. can finally know we exist. <laughs> That's a very good point. He wasn't technically fleeing from the fire. He was using like the heat blast as an excuse to get thrown out a window. Yes. Valid then, point. <laughs> and then we have this weird song playing slow motion. I can't remember what it was. I think it's funny that none of the like music is like modern music. It wasn't shit that was out. Uh, in like 2008 right right yeah <laughs> and it's it's like all this like old like old timey old fogey music for the most part that we get in this movie um which is charming <laughs> and definitely lends itself to the tone but i do think it would be funny if like fucking coldplay or rihanna just kicked in and it like horribly <laughs> dated this movie as he was like falling what uh, if they just played the song fireproof <laughs> 
Uh, no, look, th- <laughs> that timing's not that far off. I think that shit was probably from like 2004 or something. That band and that song are awful, listener. I want I wanted to be clear on record that I'm making that joke at their expense. It's not something I enjoy. <laughs> but like a, a Jason Mraz song came out. Uh, what I've done, Mark, is I pulled up uh, the Billboard year end Hot 100 singles of 2008 specifically so i can make these jokes throughout this podcast <laughs> nice. uh katie perry's hot and cold should have been playing uh, oh there you go <laughs> ultimately of course what happens is hellboy's just like strutting around on the street posing for pictures etc having a good old time making jeffrey tambor angry at him yes and the end result is johan kraus is called in to take over the bprd Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do we think of Johan Krauss's costume? The costume? The, uh, the, yeah, his whole vibe, his visual aesthetic. It, it's fine. It's like a, it feels like an underwater, like old timey diving costume, but like just a little more streamlined. And yeah, I don't yeah. know if it's supposed to be like, am I supposed to get like bug vibes from his little clicky clacky? mandible dealy that like bobs up and down when he speaks i don't know um, that's, that's what i'm not sure and i, I visually i like it i find it yeah. pleasing because i like i listen i'm, I'm a 40 year old white nerd i like steampunk yeah. it's up my alley right <laughs> he's, right he's, getting, he's got a steampunk suit on look he definitely has the steam part of that down for sure <laughs> right uh but it's interesting because like comic book johan kraus looks a lot more like mst3k's tom servo oh i like that better like he's just got a big old like glass dome head. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. I and want it is that. definitely a uh for me I like it. And you know, I I like the aesthetic better. It's it's fun like it, all of the little whirly bits and knobs and things are fun on his suit, but Sure, sure. I'm I'm googling is what's happening. Okay. <laughs> oh, these are interesting. They range anywhere from like skinny like cylindrical head that looks like the whole fucking body's made out of glass for some reason right and from that to like straight up moltar from space ghost <laughs> oh that that would have been a better pool than tom servo yeah yeah big moltar <laughs> vibes in some of these it's uncanny i'm not sure why they leaned into this sort of like you said almost kind of like bug vibe steampunk suit it works i like it yeah it's fine it's just an odd choice. It's the clicky clacky deal in the middle that makes it lean so bug. Otherwise, like it yeah, wouldn't yep. need to. It's that's an interesting like little bit that they added for reasons unknown to me. It's and maybe much- again, I have, I have read limited Hellboy, so maybe it's like mm-hmm. a ladder addition. Like maybe that suit shows up later in the comics or something. I don't know. I just think of him as like the glass head guy. <laughs> yeah, he's a guy. He got. Man, what made out of clouds and has a fishbowl on his head? It's right, fine. It's what? It, what if Mysterio was just the fog inside the helmet? <laughs> <laughs> and he is introduced to us as the ectoplasmic medium, which is a very Hellboy esque sort of title, right? Like that's that's yeah. fun, and that's very much kind of what he is in the comics. Like he's just an ectoplasm in a human suit. There is more like ectoplasmic small. Am I right? <laughs> it, he, I don't know. I, 
Here's my problem with Johan Krauss existing is that he's played by Seth MacFarlane and I'm never happy to see Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> Strong agree. Strong is the, agree. Is the thing. He's is voiced the, at least by Seth MacFarlane. Right, right. It's off-putting. Yeah. So like I have to think of Seth MacFarlane every time he opens his mandibles. I don't know what they are. <laughs> so they're going to. They're going to do once Krauss gets here and he's got this kind of Germany accent because he is another Hellboy character who is actually sort of like a German scientist. Yeah, we love that's great. Uh, we need more of those. I think he was never a scientist. I think he was like a psychic or something. Okay. I don't know enough about that character. He just reads really fashy to me because he's one voice by Seth MacFarlane. And two, he has like the like German voice, stereotypical voice and is being yeah. like over bearing authoritarian to everybody the movie chooses to really because they're using him as this sort of in charge of the bprd vibe Mm -hmm. the movie sort of leans into the like Gusenstepen. yeah yeah the noted german efficiency which is often code for autocracy yeah I don't remember that being part of the character in the books, but, you know, maybe it was. I don't know. Again, I think it was a result of bringing him in as, like, a boss, the leader or whatever this time around. But, yeah, it it plays badly because he's got that German autocrat vibe. Yeah, it's... It does work for, like, we're bringing in a guy who wants to do things by the book and, like, that's going to chafe on Hellboy. Like, that certainly, certainly worked. Yeah, we look. We we don't like him, and we're not supposed to like him. So, right. sure. I guess until uh-huh. we are, which is a <laughs> thing this movie does later on. And he has the so they sort of do a little bit of research on the tooth fairies. He brings one sort of back to lifeish for a bit by animating it with his like ectoplasm. Well, again, sure, you know, that's what he does. He's a he's a psychic medium, whatever. That's his this that's his deal. Uh, and they discover like, oh, these came from the troll market. How would you feel if this scene where he brings the Tooth Fairy back to life featured the song Live Your Life by T.I. featuring Rihanna, <laughs> which was number 37 on Billboard's year-end Hot 100 singles of 2008? I, I think I'd be there for that. Sure. Okay. <laughs> just, just checking. This is, I'm, not, I'm committed to this bit, Mark. You're, we're in it for the long haul. <laughs> <laughs> so they have, I think the... the idea that i was building to mm-hmm. is that they have these little goggles that dr kraus makes that let them like uh see a creature's glamour a seeming it uncloaks them more important than unveiling the old lady which uh-huh. is a very good beat is as abe sabian is donning the glasses he says very self-satisfied like he's he's re- like in a tone that sounds like someone enjoying a really good steak or something he says i love these tight little leather straps oh that's good <laughs> it's a fantastic line and it's a fantastic read and I that love it. is that somebody had an awakening somebody had a very right? <laughs> dean felton i hope this doesn't awaken anything in me moment when they heard those words for the first time coming out of the fish man's mouth yeah it's so good <laughs> and then they do they use the glasses to like spot a uh, a fairy goblin like in the seeming in the guise of an old woman mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they get into the goblin market under the brooklyn or the troll market like the movie calls it a troll market underneath the brooklyn bridge because you know, that's where trolls live under bridges of course sure this is uh there's two two things about this 
both of them work very well for me. One, again, it's a goblin market. And mm-hmm. specifically, do you remember the movie, the Disney movie, Bedknobs and Broomsticks? Vaguely, yes. So in Bedknobs and Broomsticks, they they at one point go to a bazaar on Portobello Road. And there's okay. this whole song. It's the street where the riches of ages are sold. And like it's just, it is very much like a sort of goblin market. And so as soon as they go in, I, I watched Ben Knobs and Broomsticks a million times. It's one of those movies we had on VHS. So I've seen it a bunch. And as soon as they went in, my brain started singing Portobello Road. Okay. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Which is ridiculous, but true. But the other thing that really stands out about this is this gives us this street gives Guillermo del Toro a chance to play. Like there's just a lot. It's a place where everything is weird. It's not like, Oh, the human world with a few weird things in it. This is the fairy world. This is the supernatural world, the world of elves and drawers and trolls. And so in a way that's kind of reminiscent of some of the stuff that will show up a few years later in labyrinth, then bed and broomsticks could not tell you. <laughs> I mean, bed and broomsticks is from the seventies. I think, What's what's the no, what's the Guillermo del Toro right? movie? Is that not? Oh, Pan's Labyrinth is what you're Pan's Labyrinth. About. That's what I'm saying. I think Pan's Labyrinth may have been slightly earlier. I think it but was in a way that's this, yeah. reminiscent of Pan's Labyrinth. This place just has like weird creatures. It's entirely alien. Yeah. The troll market, and I love it for that. Yeah, it's great. It, they look. They were setting up this film, and whenever he did the troll market, it was like he was a kid in a candy shop, and he could have what. Ever You Like by T.I., the number 15 song from Billboard's year-end top 100 singles of 2008. It's really good. I love that he went so, like, physical props and costuming for this section. It's This is right around the time where, like, I feel like most other people would have just said, composite some CG bullshit going on. And they built, because I have the, like three disc collector's edition of this movie on dvd uh and they built like the whole like trolls market physically for them to like walk through it's incredible (laughs) it's so good right i love this set piece i love it so much everything looks good all of the little characters there's still some cg like the tooth fairies and like some smaller characters obviously are in cg but anything that's like that you could put a human inside is a human inside it and i love that it this i love all of these character designs Straight up, better than any, like, tertiary Star Wars character, Mark. I, it does That's it fair, me. and it does sort of have the vibe, right, of, like, Mos Eisley Cantina or something. Yeah, it's as definitely well. It definitely that has that, just, like, collection of aliens. I do really like the, like, tall, gangly, frumpy-looking Mitch McConnell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? That, I absolutely yeah, do. I love that that guy that Prince Duwata threatens and is like, "Hey, you can let me into the play," and he's like, "Oh, don't." Um, yeah, I I love all the weird like creatures in this. This is the this is the movie that did it for me, Mark. This is the one where I mm. fell in love with all the cool creature shit that Guillermo del Toro does. Yep, that's that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> and while we're here, Abe's like poking around invest. Like Abe is the one who's actually you know working. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of course uh kraus is failing in his investigations hellboy's punching people and like abe is just like following the information which leads him to nuala who is nuada's twin sister mm-hmm. uh, as she she is in possession of the third piece of the crown and she has like she's she's at the troll market specifically 
to pick up a map that her father had left stored for her that presumably leads to the golden army yeah yeah she's trying to get it to keep it out of nuana's hands to be clear right right we did miss while we're talking about the troll market Mm -hmm. we did miss the fact that nuana and wink just straight up ganked his dad like they just marched into the elven court and killed the old thing that happened yeah they they did kill the king straight up rest in pieces (laughs) <laughs> and this vibe this specific elven court i was saying I, I, there's the old white wolf games changeling the dreaming that i really love this has that feel to it of like the last of the elves who are clinging to their weird traditions uh in some very cool ways but like their power is clearly very diminished and the world isn't really theirs anymore so they have like a court and courtiers and whatever but it's just like in some weird warehouse basement and there's only two dozen of them and it is very weirdly tragic in a way that works for me the space has like the vibe of like what if this world had a very intimate like chapel um (laughs) (laughs) And there's just like the the one dude, the king at the front, and then like a, the congregation, and it's yeah, 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 yeah. You can't fit more than like fifty people in there. It's real small, and yet they can have a whole fight in the middle of right. it somehow. They have a big old fight. It goes poorly for the king because mm-hmm. Nuada is just like way better at fighting than everyone else here, and he just kills everybody and kills his dad and takes the other piece of the crown. He did. It's fine. He lived a good life, which was. By Kanye West featuring T-Pain, the number 79 <laughs> song in the Billboard year-end Hot 100 singles of 2008. <laughs> Love it. Love it. <laughs> All right. So back in the Goblin Market, Noala's got the third piece. She's picking up the map. Abe mm-hmm. kind of catches up to her because he's, again, he's been following the breadcrumbs. Right, right. They meet and sort of have a an instant love connection one might call it a sexual eruption by snoop dogg the number 50 song <laughs> on the billboard you're in top 100 singles of 2008 uh, one might in fact call it that mark you can cut it like is. half of these out but if i just keep spitting them out some of them are going to be good i mean I'm, I'm personally really enjoying it <laughs> some of them are going to be gold and much like the titular army and you're going to be like i'm glad we did that <laughs> So they like they they press hands together. They touch each other, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Nuala also has they compare hand sizes in their meat. They do, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and Nuala also has the sort of empathic telepathy that Abe does. So they learn about each other immediately through this. Mm-hmm. We don't get to see much of it because this is where Mister Wink shows back up, and he and Hellboy are going to have a good old knockdown dragout. Yeah, they have a big punch fest in the uh, troll market, which I know it's it's fun. There's just a lot of just two big dudes punching each other over and over yeah. again in rubber suits. I'm into it. It's the classic Hellboy is always the biggest and the strongest. And now he bumps into someone who is bigger and stronger than him. And mm-hmm. it ends with Hellboy breaking the guy's fist and sort of mm-hmm. trying to let him live. Right. And he's like understandably upset because this troll has a disability and you have destroyed his disability aid he's like look what you did to my fucking hand he's like (laughs) you were trying to punch my face in i had to (laughs) what would what are you talking about (laughs) (laughs) and it it ends with like the guy i almost unintentionally said throws hands (laughs) no that's right he does (laughs) He, he fucking bionic commandos Hellboy, tries yes. to, and he just sidesteps it. And 
it gets caught in like this meat grinder thing that's just out on the street for reasons yeah. unbeknownst to me at least listener just a big old crusher press thing yeah like you would see in one of them video games and it drags him in and it it crushes mr wink turns him into i don't know wink burgers or something i don't know what the aim is here i don't know what that machine's for unclear it could be anything <laughs> I'll, I just know for sure that it's 100% dangerous by Cardinal Official <laughs> featuring Akon number 29 song oh, on the Billboard year in Hot 100 singles of 2008. <laughs> Nuana shows up because the, the servants, little, little small fairies, little sprites. Mm-hmm. run back to where he's staying and say like hey uh the problem here wink is dead hellboy has killed wink and he he shudders that's yeah that's what's happening yep. it's a shudder <laughs> and he he tracks down hellboy and has this short dialogue of like why are you helping humans like you are clearly supernatural and as soon as your usefulness to the humans end they will turn on you as well right right which, you know, probably a valid point. Yeah, I mean, he does look like a big walking demon, so... Right. Yeah. Mostly because he is a, a big walking demon who has prophesied to bring the world to an end. Right, right. We're having a very... I'm, I'm Magneto talking to the X-Men. Why do you protect <laughs> the humans? Very much so, yes. Moment. That is very much that vibe. Uh, and then he unleashes like a forest, an ancient forest elemental, the last of its kind. Uh-huh. Uh huh. A lot of this movie works for me, Mark. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna actually talk shit about the the tree fight because I have some good things to say about that. But Abe Sapien fumbling at this fucking bean um, before it goes down. To, I hate it every time I watch it. I'm like, what are you doing? You like. You're the smartest person here. How are you doing this poorly at this? Yeah. It's that's very fair. weird. Like if Hellboy was doing it, if Hellboy had to go chase the bean and this happened, totally in character. So it's a weird choice that we chose Abe to chase it down. Yes, it definitely was a weird choice. That's why I'm upset with it. It was just like a, the obvious choice was right there and his name's on the tin. So like, why did we go right. with Abe chasing it down? <laughs> It's a fine fight. It's a it's a it's a forest elemental that is a little too CGI for me. But what are you going to do? Like it's two thousand and eight, and clearly, sure. sure, we're not practical affecting this thing. This is where our reviewer from above noted that Heckboy kills a tree. Heckboy kills a tree. I love that. Th- this it's scene, fine. like this- it's just a big set piece fight. Yeah, the set piece fight is fine. It goes by pretty quick, and it's not big that big of a deal. But like, there's a whimsy. I like tone to this scene that we don't put in movies anymore that feels very like 1980s spielberg right like yeah, there's this yeah. level of like intense uh sentimentality happening that's just like 100 percent sincere and like it, it doesn't feel i don't know it feels like people don't want to do these types of scenes anymore and like they still yeah. ter- definitely do like shit is still heavy-handed and sentimental in films don't get me wrong but like sure there's just a very particular tone here that feels, I don't know, like E.T. to me. It feels like we feel bad for the the non-human thing that only like Guillermo del Toro really could be delivering at this, in yeah, this day and age. Yeah, like this, this thing was brought in, much like the Tooth Fairies, to be fair, mm-hmm. taken away from where it belongs, brought into an alien landscape, 
and set loose. And like the only thing that can be done is to kill it because otherwise it's going to kill a whole bunch of humans. But like, it's not the thing's fault. Yeah. It's weird that like fucking new water jumps up there and victim blames Hellboy about it. He's like, you can't, if you kill that thing, it's the last of its kind. So you knew that this is the last living one of these. And you yeah. turned it into a weapon, and then you're going to complain about us stopping it. That is absolutely, yeah. And again, that's very eco fashy right? Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> All right. Where are we? Oh, okay. So we go back to the BPRD after this. They take down the tree. We get back to the BPRD. Mm-hmm. There's a conversation between Hellboy and Liz about Hellboy's aforementioned uh, selfishness and neediness. And Nuala, for just a minute or two, kind of gets to settle into the BPRD. She gets to talk to Abe for a bit. It's nice, but she knows it can't last because they are like paired twins, whatever. They're Gemini twins, whatever it is. Right. They inherently experience what the other is experiencing. So she's like, listen, this is fine, but he is on his way here because he knows where I am because he is my twin. For reasons. Don't worry about it. little sketchy yeah why didn't he stop her from taking the map if he knows where she is all the time like maybe the thing he has to turn on like maybe he has to say like well i know they took her so i'm gonna activate my twin sense i don't know i guess that's fair i think he just really assumed that he would one day you know i would see you again by miley cyrus the number 31 (laughs) song on billboard's year in top 100 singles of 2008 miley cyrus is older than i think she is yeah for sure definitely however old you think miley cyrus is older than that (laughs) and so nuala just immediately hides the crown piece in a book in the library Mm -hmm. uh, because she knows her brother is going to show up which she does kind of immediately thereafter (laughs) yeah pretty quickly we'll get there in a minute because in the meantime hellboy and abe are going to get drunk together i love this part of the movie mark I there, there's, it is just so good that they are broing down you know it is there's this like lovely despite you know hellboy being uh a garbage man and not the good kind like the sanitation sure, worker yeah. but like an actual garbage man yeah, um, hellboy's working through some toxic masculinity here for sure for sure but despite that he's very comfortable with like this like male intimacy that's happening and yeah yeah it was just a very sweet moment between these like two monster boys i don't know that like it ever necessarily veers into like queer coding it just feels like very intimate do you remember last movie when i was struggling to describe the way i wanted hellboy and liz to relate to each other like siblings uh is it this is this what you want it this is what i want this is what hellboy and liz should be from the page not weird romantic pairing they should be this they like hellboy liz hellboy abe they have this like these are his siblings in the same way that broom is his dad like this is his chosen family gotcha okay i guess i can see that i don't again i haven't read the hellboys so like i my only frame of reference is these ding dang movies but like yeah that's interesting i'll have to i i would say the romantic relationship between hellboy and liz is ten thousand percent more believable in this film than it was in the last one so oh, yeah D- that's well, real good it yeah. helps when one of your characters is actually a character <laughs> right <laughs> well yeah hellboy and, and abe just like they're both having bad times they're both like sh- 
struggling to understand the next steps of their romantic relationships. Yeah, they're being sulky young men. Uh, they absolutely are. just don't know what to do about all these big feelings that they're having for these ladies. <laughs> they sing a little song together. They do. It's adorable. I love it. It's so fun. It's so good. There's so much charm in it. I wish we had more of this kind of just character shit in that first movie. Yep. And this is where Nuada shows up. Hellboy and Abe are still a little drunk. And there is an immediate showdown between Nuada and and hellboy right they race into the room hellboy's ready to stomp him and abe is like listen you cannot kill him because that will kill nuala because they are whatever like they are wonder twins (laughs) they are connected (laughs) and so hellboy has to pull his punches which means nuada who is obviously an incredibly good fighter we've already seen that immediately gets the best of him like if hellboy's best moves are the big damaging punches and if you tell him he has to pull his punches he's like that is really limiting that's his whole that's his whole thing he does it he shoots a gun good and he punches things real good yes <laughs> and he can't shoot him and he can't punch him too hard so he just like he, he goes down quick uh and nuada gets him on the tip of a spear that he then mm-hmm. breaks mm-hmm. off in hellboy's chest yeah, Mark, I can't believe we haven't talked about it before now, but remember when I was like, spirits are cool, spirits should be in more things, last episode? Um, <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah, um, I've said, I think I've brought this up multiple times over the course of the podcast, because I'm just a fan of it as a weapon, and it doesn't get used in <laughs> cinema as much as I feel like it could be. Uh, yeah, the, our big bad in this movie, his main weapon is a spear, and I love it. It's, it's fucking sick to watch yeah it's got this great like elongated blade on the end it's it's Mm -hmm. uh it's such a nerdy fantasy weapon but in the best way yeah i think so he does all he does this like elf kung fu shit with it it's real cool i i'm a big fan of it and he just like shoves it right into hellboy's chest snaps it off and is like i'm i'm out of here we'll see you later yep don't touch it or it'll make it worse and Abe, who has, you know, done surgery stuff on Hellboy frequently, checks it out and he confirms immediately. Like, listen, I can't like this is killing him. And also I can't get it out or it will kill him faster. Yep. He they take him to like the sick bay or whatever. And he looks at it and he tries to remove it. He's like, every time I do, it just gets closer by Neo number 20 on Billboard's year end <laughs> hot 100 singles of 2008. <sighs> What this means, mm-hmm. ultimately, is Nuada offers them a trade, right? Like, bring me the last piece of the crown, I will save your boy's life. Yeah. Uh, and the BPRD says, no, thank you, Hellboy. Like, you're useful, but you're not end the world useful to us. So, uh, now that your utility is gone, we're going to let you die. Yeah, we love it. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Real nice. <laughs> and the team, Liz... Abe and Kraus agree that like, all right, well, we got to we got to take this out of BPRD's hands and they take off for the Giants Causeway. Why does Abe finds the map very quickly because it's in the book that Nuala was right, quoting right, earlier. Right, right. Abe finds the map and is like, I can take you there by Sean Kingston, number 34 on Billboard. You're in top 100 singles of 2008. But I don't know Correct. why. I don't know why Kraus just flips around so quick on a dime. He's like five seconds early. He's like, can't do this. We can't risk the world. We follow orders. We must do this for my viewer. And then 
Five seconds later, he's in the hallway, and he's like, I had a girlfriend once. <laughs> I'll tell you about it in the sequel. We're not going to get greenlit. Um, and then they they steal a plane? Why didn't you say this was for true love? Oh, I didn't know that. That changes everything, apparently. Oh, amazing. Yep. And they, they like, hijack a plane. Yep. They and take- they fly off to the Giant's Causeway. Sure do. It is wonderful that they chose the Giant's Causeway as a location. Really, just exactly perfect. Exactly perfect for me. It works real well. The Giant's Causeway is part of the the Finn McCool mythology. The what? <laughs> I know it sounds so... In Gaelic, it's basically it's 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 spelled in a very Gaelic way, but it but because of a trick of how like enunciation works, it is just pronounced Finn McCool, McCool, or MacCool, perhaps oh if you want to lean into the Mac. But yeah, so like the Causeway is is part of the Finn McCool story. It's it's a very so so like. The story is that he he originally built like the like what's left of the causeway now in Scotland is like the last pieces of basically like this enormous stepping stone staircasey sort of thing that Finn McCool the giant built so that he could get to Scotland without getting his feet wet in the ocean. Wow. <laughs> And one time when he was mad, he like just grabbed a chunk of Ireland mm-hmm. and like hucked it at an enemy, but he missed and it landed in the ocean and that became the Isle of Man, which is like just off the cosmos. <laughs> wow. Okay. It's so like, it's very, very like old school folklore you know, this is how the world was made sort of stories. Right, right. And yeah, I just love it. I love the that we're going to the Giants Causeway and that there is a giant here. Yeah. It's it's visually appealing and again it's just it's right squarely in the chunk of mythology that young Mark spent a lot of time learning about. Fair, fair. We get <laughs> we have uh our second third thir- our third disabled character in this film. Uh fourth, yeah. maybe fourth. How do we classify Krauss? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question, yeah. Is Alphonse Elric disabled? I would argue absolutely, so I think Krauss is as well. He has to have a whole body prosthetic. Um, yeah, I think that Yeah, I think that is fair. He's basically walking around in full body automel. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right. th- look, look at this. We have this little goblin character who's like amputee from the waist down, seems to be. What's yep, going on here? Yep. Was it from the He lost war? his legs building the Golden Army. Oh, okay. That's right. Is it, oh, this is the same goblin that built them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Didn't put that together. Good to know. And he's still like, just strolling around here and doing his thing. Yeah. You know, the world has moved on, but he is still here. And he is one of the last people who still lives like within the causeway. <laughs> and he tells them about like, you know, I wish you could have seen this when it was a thriving city, etc. And he knows he knows the info that they need and he offers them a trade. But what he wants is the tip of the spear. Like that's that spear is ancient and magical and definitely a thing that a goblin blacksmith would want. And when they say like, yeah, this sounds like a great trade. The problem is it would kill Heckboy here. If you took that out. Right. Right. The goblin guys like, yeah, that's listen, that is zero problem. I know a dude who can solve that for us. Let's go talk to the angel of death. I love the angel of death. Actually. 
there's one yep. particular shot where you look at the wings and you go, well, that's just obviously a prosthetic and it doesn't, it doesn't move or like, sure. <laughs> it doesn't feel real. It feels like a prop on one very specific scene, but the rest of the time it works for me. It's real good. I really like it. I, it's some A plus like fuckery going on with this monster. I, I'm, I'm a big fan. Yeah, I mean, like that's our boy Doug Jones. Wings. It's a great, it's a great suit, and Doug Jones yep. is super great at being weird. Yep, Doug Jones plays this angel expressly as like feminine and like androgynous, and it's it's real good. I d- one thing that I have to mention is that this like little inner place where all this shit is happening, and we get to like where the angel of death is. Everything looks like a fucking Bogzinski painting. <laughs> And I love it. I am all about it. Again, I would say, much like the Goblin Market, once we get to the causeway and everything within it, we're in another place where, like, there aren't humans, so we can lean into the weird. And that is Del Toro's bread and butter. And, like, his visuals are so good. It's all very, very good. Everything looks like it's made out of things that were once alive like everything looks like hardened flesh and i am all about it i'm like this is cool i want more of this in media we just don't we don't do this yet what if we greenlit another slasher film to add to the other 500 slasher films that are out there yep (laughs) we are just criminally sleeping on so many cool horror aesthetics by doing the same ones over and over again And this is this is where the baby kind of works into the story because the death is like, listen, I removed the sliver of the whatever thing, but he needs a reason to like come back to the side of the veil. You need to give him a reason to live like his soul is in limbo, whatever. And she's like, Hellboy, there's a baby. <laughs> there's baby in me. <laughs> and I was watching something else recently. I can't remember what it was. But two old friends were talking in a piece of media, uh, and one of them was like a singleman, and the other one was a married guy, and the singleman was like, so, you know, what's it like having a kid? And the married guy was like, listen, my life started when that kid was born, and I just, like, I don't know if my, like, because of that, my brain was in a grumpy space about it, Mm, and I'm a dad, and I love my daughter to death, but I hate the way, like, creating babies is, like, given just as a universally agreed upon position is the best thing a human can do i don't know it's like if you want to sure kids can be great but i don't know i don't know it i I think because that other scene i had watched recently was written so badly i was like gosh this is just oh it's not great here i yeah i I think liz could have just said live for me hellboy and that would have been fine (laughs) that would have been fine it if she was just like hey I'm yours by Jason Mraz, number 27 on Billboard's Year in Hot 100 singles of 2008. That would have been totally she just fine. broke out into song. Like that, yeah. was, that was how she gave him a reason to live. And s- breaks into a Mraz ballad. Instead, we get Hellboy waking up and leaning into her belly and saying, Busted Baby Part 2, Plies featuring Neo, number 38 on Billboard Year in Hot 100 singles of 2008. And it's not as good. It's just, it's demonstrably not like- as good. I recognize the following as an extremely personal and weird quirk. Mm-hmm. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm going to say it anyway, because it's in all media ever. I hate when men like grab their wives' bellies and talk to the baby inside it. <laughs> hate it. I hate it. I hate it's it. weird. It's-, it's always. And I know like, like as babies are like growing inside their parents, uh-huh. like that they they can hear and respond 
and like they learn their parents voices and they can hear their parents heartbeat and all of that like i know i know but listen my kid can get used to my voice by listening to me talking to their other parent right they don't they don't need me like speaking through my partner's abdominal wall saying hey little bud can't wait to meet you that is creeping me out forever i yes mark but hang out hang with me here i think it would be tremendous to have a time travel movie in which the wife goes back in time and encounters her husband before the daughter, like their kid, whatever their offspring is born. And she just leans down real close to his crotch and is like, hey, little guy, <laughs> how you doing in right? there? That's so hey, <laughs> hey, your dad's doing real good out here. He's good. <laughs> Can't wait to meet you. Yeah, I'm so excited to see you one day. <laughs> Just speaking directly into his like crotch like a microphone would be incredible. And again, I understand that that puts me in the vast minority of people because talking no, to you're right is weird, and it's like through a birthing human stomach is a thing that everyone does. I just hate it. Talking to the whatever the baby in utero is is one thing. It's when you get it's getting down on your knees and talking. Yes, stri- that is yep. Like that's the grabbing shit. your partner's stomach and like putting your mouth up against it what are you doing what the fuck is that i don't know quit don't it know. everyone everyone of any gender regardless everyone. of gender if somebody else is carrying your like your child or a child don't talk into them like their belly buttons a microphone that's really fucking weird <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> hello object that is incubating the being i actually want to be speaking to god yeah it's real fucking bizarre like <laughs> you should you should get their express consent before you like i don't know it's just it's weird like it's not like they're walking up to you and being like touch my body by mariah carey number 22 on the billboard year and not 100 singles of 2008 people are just <laughs> taking it upon themselves sneaked that one in on me <laughs> it's like i gotta get him in where i can we're almost at the end of this podcast we are we are yeah because this movie ends like it's a good tight small story mm-hmm. really like it you know it is potentially like a world-altering story or whatever but it's actually a pretty small scale yeah uh and the end of the movie is small but not in a bad way so hellboy like comes back from beyond the veil or whatever the goblin blacksmith takes them to the golden army and even though hellboy is fine now abe gives him the last piece of the crown because he wants nuala right right i think that's the exchange there and of course the golden army wakes up and they fight some of them i would say much like the last movie the like the physics of weight are a little off here with the golden army. They, they don't feel like they should have, they don't feel like they have quite the whatever the, the, the weight of them feels a little wrong. Oh yeah. They're still a pretty cool looking scene. They're, look, they're cool design wise. And I like that, but they are absolutely just this weird, bizarre, weightless um, CGI yeah. fest that goes on. I do love that that we have our smart character walking in and being like, I'm going to do the dumb thing for love. And no one can really judge him for the thing he's doing because Hellboy made the same decision at the end of the last movie. Right. Oh, absolutely. Where he was like, I yes. will also throw away the the entire fucking world for the woman that I love. And so <laughs> yeah, and, 
And Hellboy's protestations are pretty weak anyway. He's like, right, oh, right. Abe, well, all right. He's like, uh, you know, shit, you know, you got, you know, it's a good point. So him walking in there it's, being it's like, all right, Hellboy's going to get to fight some giant golden monsters. He's not too upset. Right, right. And it ends because they fight a few golden soldiers. Like, listen, we can't, we can't fight a whole army. Uh, and it ends with Hellboy remembering the story from the beginning. He's like, wait, I seem to remember an element of that story was like, the crown can be claimed by anyone with royal blood. Uh-huh. I'm going to object. I'm going to object and challenge for the crown, which lets us draw the fight again back down to a very small one-on-one stakes. Right, right. I do wish at some point, and everyone's going to disagree with this take, Mark, but I want it. I do wish at some point during this fight, Hellboy looked directly at camera and said, it's howdy duty time. I don't know. <laughs> That's just for me. I just want that selfishly. I know it wouldn't be good, but I would get a kick out of it. Ah, <laughs> uh, and that, so the fight is kind of the end of the movie. It's a good fight. I would say this is a, it's well choreographed. It's, Again, because it's mostly two people in makeup and costumes, I think it works better than some of the CGI fighting. Right, right, for sure. I do like the uh, just the whole gear set piece that we, yeah, we talked about. Yep. We got a little bit of that in the last movie, and I wanted more. And we do get a little more of it here. I still wish, yep. I still wish we got more. I, it's just a real cool thing that we only could see like yeah, just a little bit of. of. And that's it. Like Liz, Liz melts down the crown. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor shows back up and he was like, how dare you guys? This is you're you're violating BPRD protocols. And they just all quit. They all quit. Yep. They all. Ex- That's fine. We don't need to work for BPRD anymore. Right. Right. J- J- the dad from Rested Development really wants them to apologize by one Republic number five on the Rogerian top 100. <laughs> I can't say it anymore, Mark. I've said it too many times. Uh, but instead they they leave and then there's not much left of the movie after that they yeah they Hellboy's just like yeah we can go make a farm to feed our children yeah our child he's like, like what uh-uh, our children <laughs> two of them and then the movie ends everyone can take a bow by rihanna number 12 on billboard year and hot 100 <laughs> singles of 2008 and we never get to find out what they do now that they're free agents yeah because some stupid movie studio is going to play hardball and not let Guillermo del Toro come back for the third film. Right. And it sucks. I want, I, mean, I don't know if the new movie sucks. We'll, we'll find that out next week. But, right. Look, we have, but it's real annoying that whatever weird studio fight happened, oh, yeah. it cost us Guillermo del Toro's third movie that would have been made presumably around 2017, 18 with, you know, superior CGI to what he had been working with. Sure. I don't even know how much he would use it. He, like, he may just, like... Th- I mean, it would definitely look better, but he still keeps so much stuff practical. Right? And, what, and, and initially, like, this was supposed to be a direct sequel to Hellboy 2. I, I would still watch it. If they if they just said the reboot didn't exist and they came back and did a Hellboy 3, like, next year... Right. I'm still on board. 100%. With, with like, a... I mean, a CGI is fine enough to do this, but I do think Rob Perlman is in his 70s now. <laughs> Yeah, look, I don't care. It's it's whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's it's prosthetics and a, if a little bit of CGI as needed and, you know, whatever. He could pull it off. He's still got the voice. I fear that there's not much to uh, to discuss here in this portion of the podcast because we both clearly gushed about this movie throughout the podcast. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that we both like Hellboy 2 better than Hellboy 1. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Ta-da! We have ranked. We did it. 
<laughs> Hellboy 2. It's just, it's just a better movie. The characterizations are better. We have two female characters who actually get to do at least a little bit of something. Liz is way better. Yeah. It, it's just all... It's, it's just a stronger movie it's just a, it's just a stronger movie across the board it's just better at doing the thing it wants to do yeah. it's it still veers into weird romanticism like the there's the one line that we didn't talk about because i was too busy making these stupid uh jokes about whatever music came out in 2008 <laughs> where <laughs> where liz is like you're the best man i've ever known and i'm like are you serious though are you the bar is subterranean at this point yeah Calvin yeah. is the best man you've ever met. Jesus Christ, girl. I think, and listen, no shade on Liz. Maybe she really means it. Uh-huh. I think this is just something that most women say to placate their partners at some point in their oh, lives. I hate that. I hate that yeah, for right? everyone it sucks, involved. But- it's bizarre. <laughs> it was so weird. It took me out of the movie. I was like, excuse you? Yeah, there's so many other ways you could express love that don't involve specifically crediting him as the best man you ever knew. Look, Abe is right there. Abe is standing yeah, Abe is like literally right 20 beside. feet behind you. <laughs> um, You know at least one man that is better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, obviously, Hellboy 2 is is the superior film hellboy one is ranked number two a hundred percent agree i guess i don't need to ask at this point but what are we watching next oh uh, we're watching hellboy 2019 of course <laughs> the third one sucks is a retrograde orbit radio production if you like the show the best thing you can do is tell your friends and make sure to rate and review it on your podcast platform of choice it really helps us out. If you want to get in touch or share suggestions about what we could cover in the future, you can contact us on Twitter at the Third One Sucks or email us at the Third One Sucks at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again in the sequel. I feel like we're alienating a lot of people with this particular take. Oh, I don't I care. Think, I, Fuck Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> yeah, Seth MacFarlane is just like, he, he legitimately just seems kind of like a garbage human. He, he, Seth MacFarlane has always sucked and has always cared more about inflating his own ego and making himself seem smarter and better than other people than actually caring about any nuanced social issue. Uh, <laughs> at me on fucking Twitter, I'll fight you. I don't give a fuck, y'all. Seth MacFarlane sucks. <laughs> That's the hill I'll die on. That'll be the hill that mm. we bury this podcast under, and I don't care. <laughs>